What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. Of course, you know we like to drop these passing periods in between our full episodes. Those full episodes are put on our YouTube channel. It takes a, a, a bit of time to edit all that video. And of course, we have guests and all kinds of great stuff on those full episodes. But these passing periods give us time in between those episodes to discuss headlines and, and, and topics that might not have made it into our most recent full episodes. So I am Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And I'm here with Jeffrey Garrett. And uh, before we get into it today, man, Jeff, I think, you know, it's been it's been a busy, busy last hella months. I mean, it's, it's, it's been busy all year, but especially this last month, really chaotic. And I did not realize that one of our class dismissed shout outs. So, you know, those of you who have listened to our full episodes, you know, we have the, the intro and then we have the do now and the seminar, and then we end with the class dismissed. And we'd like to shout out folks doing great things in the world of education. And, uh, Several episodes ago, we had a class dismissed uh, where we like where we shouted out one of our AOTA family members who's a, a devoted listener and um, has supported our show for quite a while. And his name is Brian Tabatabai, and we shouted him out because he happened to be running for city council in his city of West Covina, and we just thought it was really dope for a teacher to run for a city council seat, especially one who is um, outspoken about issues affecting our most marginalized populations and and all that. So we shouted him out for, for running for city council. And then, you know, life got busy and I kind of forgot about it, not going to lie. And um, Jeff, I just realized like he won his race. He won. District, District 1, I believe, West Covina City Council, Brian Tabatabai, shout out to you. I'm so happy to see a teacher on their city council. That is so dope. Jeff, man, did you realize that he won his race? Uh, I did not until you uh, told me about it this morning. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's been a hectic, hectic couple weeks. Yeah, man. But I pulled up, you know, it's funny because uh, when, when you told me, I was like, all right, let me let me go see what's cracking online about it. And uh, there is something beautiful to see. His Facebook page is officially titled Councilman Elect. Brian Tabatabai, West Covina, Yo. District 1. So, um, That's dope. yeah, I'm not sure when his uh, swearing in would be, or maybe they just need to update the Facebook page. But either way, uh, props to Brian, man. That's, that's cool. Love to see educators, um, you know, advancing uh, in the political sphere and, and you know, bringing an bringing in educator's lens to, you know, to the big questions about, like, how we use our resources in, in our communities, yep. right? Um, which is great. So hopefully that means good things for uh, all the people of uh, of West Covina and, um, you know, the young people especially. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I've never met Brian. I mean, I just know he's uh, a, a listener of all of the above. He he reached out when we started offering merch on our website and he was like, you know, I, I'd really like a hoodie. I don't see a hoodie listed though. And and we put one up there and he, he, he bought it and he's one of the ones who put a review on Apple um, podcast for us. And, and you know, we sent him a AOTA sticker for his laptop, by the way, folks, you, we still have some stickers left. So, you know, screenshot our, your review of us on uh, Apple podcasts and, and send that over and we'll send you back an AOTA show sticker for your laptop or notebook or whatever. But any case, um, so yeah, I haven't met him, but, um, super, super thrilled to see him, um, enter the, the, political space and advocate for for our most marginalized and um yeah and represent the the teacher perspective on these things all right jeff so 
passing period. It's midway through December, roughly. And obviously, like always, there's a lot going on. So what do we what are we discussing today on passing period? Well, I think, man, well, we got a couple of topics we're going to going to dig into. And the first one is uh, is something that we've talked about <laughs> for like eight months now. <laughs> and from from <laughs> has all it been that long. It, my God, has it been that long? I, uh, you know, I'm getting ready. I am. um I am driving home to my home state um, to see my family that I have not seen in a year and to have a very awkward, very um, socially distanced outside in Minnesota. Okay, so pray for me, people. Uh, We're going to try to do as much outside as we can. But a very like unchristmassy Christmas uh, with my family because I haven't seen everybody in a year, like in a literal entire calendar year. It was this time last year was when I was last there. So, uh, so it, it time has flown. Um, but I digress. All that to say, uh, our first topic we're going to dig into today is you know sort of this renewed momentum, despite all available public health data locally, regionally, and nationally, that we have this renewed push for the reopening of school. Um, And we're going to, you know, talk about the sort of intricacies of where is this push coming from? What does it mean? Is it a good thing? Is it a dangerous thing? Uh, So we're going to get into that. And then I think also this being um, for most schools around the country, approaching the moment, the, (laughs) the, the, benevolent, beloved moment of the beginning of winter break. Uh, for us in Southern California, for most districts, we're one week away, exactly. Yeah. And uh, for a lot of other folks around the country, you might have like a week and a couple days you know, leading up to Christmas Eve. But uh, everybody's getting close. Everybody's sprint limping to the finish line. And, uh, and great. <laughs> sprint limping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sprint limping. Uh, but grades are, are coming back up, of course, front and center in everybody's mind. So I think we're going to spend a little time talking about both of those things today. Uh, both timely topics. I am facing a, a grade book and a grade entry window that I am still grappling with for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, before talking about grades, that that sense of like renewed or it feels like renewed pressure from my perspective to uh to reopen schools man it seems to have really kicked up in the last last um week or so and it's really really i mean for me it's really troubling um but it's just really interesting i think to kind of consider where this renewed push is coming from because it's it seems to be even more bipartisan than you know the push over the summer so just looking at california for example um john fensterwald for for edsource he wrote an article about how there's a, a group of california assembly leaders who are pressing for all districts to resume in-person teaching this spring and um and this is headed up by three democratic assembly leaders who have proposed legislation um i think last monday that would require public school students to physically return to school in stages by early spring after public health officials lift closure orders. And it's kind of interesting seeing this coming from Democratic lawmakers. And of course, this would be still, you know, dependent on public health officials, supposedly. But then when you look at the details, it looks like their legislation is basically asking for schools to start reopening for at least the most struggling or most... um, the youngest students when their counties move from 
the most restrictive purple tier to any less restrictive color, red, orange, yellow. So this isn't like once you hit orange or yellow, you should reopen. This is like, just get out of the worst of the worst restrictive tier and start reopening, which I think isn't quite listening to public health officials at all. Because in my in my view, any color that's not like green, okay, um, is is something, you know, cause for concern. So I don't know what your thoughts are, Jeff, about this renewed sense. And maybe it maybe it is just me. I don't know. But have you from your um view, have you gotten a sense that this this push to reopen schools has sort of like gained momentum or, or picked up over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so I, I think there's kind of two uh, dual things happening right now. There is both, I would agree, 100%. There's a, um, there is a sort of, in the public discourse, renewed push to, to talk about the need to reopen school. And there's also like a hard reality on the ground, which is in like in county offices of health, in school board uh, <laughs> meetings, like you know, they're having freaking virtual meetings. So you want school to open yeah. while you, like you're discussing school reopening in a virtual school board or city council or county health commission meeting. Like, first of all, like just F you, dude. Like that's, yeah. that, that pardon my, you know, um, lightweight cursing there. But uh, like the optics are not good from an educator's perspective, I, I would argue. Um, so I think there is a reality that like that push it has like found a little more oomph. And at the same time, the data is so bad right now that like, no, you know, it, the, we're both holding the like, we got to reopen and the like, oh, hell no, everybody needs to stay exactly where they are, shut all the doors and windows and don't talk or breathe near anyone. Right. Um, and so, so I think both of those things are happening. And I, I'll tell you, man, well, it's probably obvious. My take of this is like highly suspicious. But if I were to play devil's advocate for a minute or to phrase that more positively, if I were to just like assume positive intent on these folks part, I do think, of course, there's a there is a hard reality of distance learning, which is it sucks largely um, for everyone involved. It's really hard for teachers. Kids are not, for the most part, engaging or learning the way they were. And parents obviously feel a tremendous burden, particularly parents of younger kids who are not self-sufficient on devices or, um, you know, just like even if your kid is on a device, it's only so long they can sit still and pay attention on that thing. Right. Like someone's got to be still supervising them. Someone's got to make lunch. Right. So the work of child care that schools do en masse for society has been shifted back to the home. And because Parents have not been given uh, the support, financial and otherwise, that they need in order to juggle having to work and do the, the work of being a caregiver for their kids during the day. They're feeling tremendous stress and burnout as well. Right. And then there's the social, uh, you know, lack of social interaction for kids and too much screen time for kids and headaches and feelings of depression, and anxiety. I get it. It's horrible. Right. Um, so. I think there is a good amount of the push to reopen schools that's coming from that place to saying like, this is exacerbating inequity. We should fix it. Right. So, okay. I'll give them that. However, back to the highly suspicious uh, <laughs> part of me, right? One, a whole swath of these people that are pushing and singing this, the sweet tune of learning loss and equity gaps and these kinds of things haven't done a damn thing about learning loss and equity 
issues forever on any Preach. level. They've, they've thrown crumbs to the people for decades and decades and decades. And now all of a sudden are trying to be out front of the equity parade to, you know, to be like, I'm the people's champ kind of thing. And I'm like, I don't believe you. You're full of crap. Who's paying for your campaign that wants school open so that parents can be as productive as they used to be at work or actually physically be able to go to work, right? So there's a complicity among the nice liberal elite. Uh, you know, I kind of hate that phrase, but like for lack of a better term, there's a complicity among <laughs> a lot of the like nice liberal Democrats in California um, in the in just the like we got to get the the you know the capitalist machine moving and we need adults working. And I, I, I honestly think that's where a lot of this push is coming from. Then you got some of the like equity champ legal organizations and community groups and stuff that are, that I think, definitely have good motives, right? Are like, hey, right. what about all the special ed kids who aren't getting services? What about all the English learners? Um, you know, like they're really taking it hard right now. And, and especially for some of the kids that get in more intensive services at school, that's not necessarily stuff that a parent can do at home. You know, if you're getting like physical therapy and occupational therapy and speech and vision, you know, like some of that stuff can be done remotely, but some of it can't. And, you know, if your kid, kid needs like help with mobility and, you know, all these kinds of things, right? Like it's an extreme burden on parents to, you know, to be the sole provider of all that when it used to be a team of like four practitioners and the parent, right? So I get it, 100% get it. I just keep coming back to the bigger question, which is like, okay, so if COVID's going to kill 1% of the kids and educators, maybe more of the educators, which, you know, 1% are we good with, right? Like, yeah. which, let's, let's start putting names on the board. <laughs> let's think about, like, who are we okay with dying? And then, of course, there's the, like, 3%, 5% who may have long-term health Issues, lung capacity yep. issues, inflammatory uh, autoimmune issues, heart damage, etc. Right? Which are the you know which are the kids? Which are the adults? Are we good with that? Right? And we so obviously don't have infrastructure in place to protect everyone right now. Um, that at least without having something that's still like a hybrid model that still requires you know almost as much of a burden on families uh, as as fully virtual. And no one's had a satisfactory answer to that for me. And we work in a system, Manuel, that doesn't let kids go on field trips where there's water because we're worried about kids drowning, right? We're, we're in a highly risk-averse profession. Right. <laughs> but all of a sudden, we're trying to bring everybody back during a pandemic. Like, the motives behind this are suspect to me because the equity champs have been equity champs forever, and they usually get marginalized and ignored. And or, you know, placated with little wins here and there. Right. So they're still doing their thing. And OK, I disagree with them on this issue, but OK, it's the rest of the pressure, particularly from elected officials, particularly from more conservative think tank type of groups where I'm like, mm, I'm calling BS. You don't care about the kids in the hood <laughs> or their parents. You just want the economy moving. So you want to be able to exploit their labor. So. Uh, I don't know. What, what's your take, Manuel? Yeah. So, I mean, I, so I teach high schoolers and 
this semester, like most schools that are fully virtual, it's been a struggle. It's been, you know, it's been very challenging. And we all were told that we'd be back in October. And then it was like, no, maybe by November. And then, you know, obviously the, 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 the day of return keeps getting pushed back to the point where it's, it's, it's unlikely in my, in my estimation, it's unlikely that we will be back on campus this school year, at least at the secondary level for sure. Cause I think we're probably the last priority. Cause I think the priority is the, the younger students first and, and, and what have you. But last episode we had here, we, we did a little halftime report kind of checking in with, um, you know, how the school year is going so far. And we had Genevieve on and, you know, I've been doing my own, like trying to get some halftime data from my students and try to get a sense of like what went well, what didn't go so well this semester. If next semester is fully virtual, like what, what changes am I going to make? So part of that was uh, a survey that I had my students fill out and it, it was anonymous. I wanted them to, you know, give just honest, honest uh, answers about what's worked and what hasn't worked and, and what their personal perspective is on all of this. And in any case, I bring that up to say, I, one of the questions on there was if it turns out that next semester is distance learning the whole way through, um, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? And I wanted to get a sense of what, you know, what are they thinking in terms of reopening and, and trying to get back to campus? And by and large, most of them, most of them were, you know, not happy about the idea, but said something along the lines of, I get it. And if that's what it takes to be safe, then, you know, we'll be all right. So many of them were like, you know, safety first, safety first. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the city that I teach in, the city of Pasadena, has hit new records day after day after day with, with positive tests uh, for, for COVID-19. And these are students who live in multi-generation families, uh, households, and, and, you know, it's just uh, the real, real concerns about their family members' uh, getting the virus in and being harmed by it. So I say that all to say, I, I get a sense from certain segments of national leadership that, that there's a lot of pressure to reopen. But when I talk to my own students, they don't seem to feel that we should be in a rush to get back to school. And as a classroom teacher, I, of course, listen to my students first and these politicians and everybody else, you know, later or secondary and um, listening to my students, like they don't want to hurry back to campus because they know it's not safe. When I hear politicians and, and other folks talk about these equity issues, which are, are very real, um, I don't know that rushing back to campus is gonna really address any of that because um, for one, uh, most of these issues have existed long before COVID-19. And I said before, I'm really concerned that we're gonna weaponize this idea of learning loss and, and, and use it to double up on, on testing and, and double up on certain subjects and, and reduce um, time spent on other subjects. And I'm just, I don't know that we have an idea in mind about what a reopened school system is even gonna look like in the wake of COVID. So we wanna rush to get them back in the building, but we haven't really even had honest discussions about what will school look like when this is all said and done. So yeah, um, I, I don't like it at all. I don't like this renewed pressure. I think I saw some headline about um, Biden talking about his, his priorities for the first 100 days and something in there with school reopenings. And I don't like any of that. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, we live in LA County and we, we record in LA County. And I remember, what, a month ago, they, they said something about how if we have more than 4,000 positive cases a day for like three days straight, then like the next level of restrictions come in. 4,000 was like the number. And last night on the news, they said, 
we hit 13,800 just yesterday, like that 4,000 number so, so long ago. And we've far passed that and it's just getting worse and it's getting worse. So reopening schools, I think is one of the last things we should be talking about now. Yeah, fine. There are some reports out there that um, the virus doesn't spread as much in schools. It doesn't spread as much as some people were worried about this and that. But it's not just the kids. Obviously, it's all the staff. I'm thinking about all the staff going back to these school buildings and their exposure. One of my close friends, he just lost his mom, like, just like quickly. Uh, I think, you know, speaking of class dismissed um, from earlier this episode, class dismissed this most recent full episode, the one where we did the COVID halftime report. I mentioned my my dog passing away, my little buddy. And in any case, I bring that up to say... Um, this friend had texted me when he found out that my dog passed. He was, oh, you're all right. You know, you're, I heard your dog passed. I know that was your baby girl, this, that, whatever. And like the next day he found out his mom was seriously ill. And within three days of that, she was gone, just gone. So like one day he's reaching out to me about my dog. And within a few days, his mom is gone. And his mom was not... You know, and a lot of times people are like, well, you know, were there pre-existing conditions? Was this an older person? This, that, whatever, whatever. Uh, his, his mom, um, you know, I've met her on multiple occasions. Um, perfectly fine, perfectly healthy as far as I know. Nothing pre-existing there. And it's just just like that. So I think about reopening schools. I think about not just the kids and their family members, but all the staff members that are going to be back in these buildings dealing with the virus that we still don't fully understand. Like, we still don't fully understand it, no matter what anybody says. So, yeah, man. Yeah miss me with that. Like I can handle virtual learning a while longer. As much as I don't like it, my students and I, we can handle it. We could deal with it if that's what it takes, because the alternative is not worth it. It's not worth it. I'll take all the learning loss if it reduces the the life lost for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm hundred percent with you on that, man. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it one step further. A good yep. half of the people talking about learning loss don't give a crap about learning loss. We've had learning loss for a long time and they've done yep. nothing except exacerbate it with horrible regressive policy, right? So I miss me with the <laughs> with the learning loss argument, right? Um, and, yep. and I will say, I support fully an aggressive public policy stance that says like, hey, what we need to do is figure out how to reopen school safely. Okay, let's have that conversation. Lots of other countries around the world have had that exact conversation. And you know what they're doing? First of all, they have universal health care for everybody. Nobody, you know, can't go get a test that's easily accessible and free. Nobody can't call their doctor or see their doctor, right? So universal health care. What they have is near guarantee of housing almost no homeless people, right? <laughs> what they have is... Yep. Uh, a robust contact tracing policy. So when there are little outbursts, they nip it in the bud, they quarantine people, you know, they prevent it from spreading further. What they have is the government subsidizing 80% of people's wages, right? Paying people effectively to stay home. And if you can work remotely, cool. If you can't work remotely, stay home, right? What they have is protection of, you know, small businesses so folks hold economic infrastructure doesn't just fall out from under them and they're left destitute right. and can't pay their mortgage or whatever, right? So like these are the things, this is just a few of the things that other countries are doing so that they can open the schools, <laughs> right? Like let's contain the virus, let's keep everybody home for a month or two or whatever, like stamp this stuff down. And then what we'll do is we'll reopen the schools first, right? In staged, yeah. thoughtful, health conscious manner, 
right? While we keep other things locked down till we can get to hopefully the point of like New Zealand and Taiwan where, where it's like effectively no longer present in their society and they can operate like normal, right? right? And then they can just do contact tracing and stamp it out where it, where it pops up. These people aren't talking about doing that. They just want the kids back in school so that the parents can go to work. That is what's happening here, man. And like, yeah. I, you know, nobody wants to talk about it because we don't like to talk about class and things in this country, right? But like, I somebody give me another explanation for, you know, for why this is playing out uh, in our public discourse the way it is here and from a policy standpoint, right? If we were so committed to addressing learning loss, we'd be doing everything we could to make it possible to safely reopen schools so that we could look parents in the eye and say, yeah, we have a way to keep, like we're reasonably, you know, of course there's no guarantees, right? But we're reasonably sure that we have a system in place that's gonna keep your kids safe. And teachers, we have, a, you know, we're reasonably sure you're not gonna freaking die or bring home a disease yeah. to your grandmother that kills her. You know what I mean? Because we're just wiping out our elders right now. So like this kind of stuff is not, you know, it's not unknown how to do this. We're just unwilling to do the parts that involve helping people. And that is a yep. deep indictment of our, you know, our character right now as a nation. And ain't got nothing to do with actually educating kids. And that, that to me is the yeah. sad part, right? Is the like use of the kids in this equation as like a political football. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that um, for sure. And, you know, in the midst of all that, there are a lot of educators listening to this and, um, they are like, okay, okay, we maybe we'll reopen soon, maybe we won't, but right now I got grades that are due. The semester of virtual learning or hybrid learning, depending on where they're listening from, is over, and um, I don't know what to do. So, Jeff, I am one of those teachers who has a, a grade book and a, a grading window deadline that I'm facing, and it's been a hell of a semester. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what to do, man. I need the answer. I just need the oh, answer, God. man. Tell me what to do about these grades, man. Just tell well, me. Well, since I've figured it all out, Manuel, um, you can you can yes. purchase my book for just three easy payments of one ninety nine ninety nine. I mean, look, I really don't envy teachers uh, in this moment because this is this is a hard one for me. In the spring, I was I was convinced to get on the uh, Dr. Manuel Rustin give them all A's train. And, uh, you know, yeah. felt good about that um, decision. I do think this semester that's that's not actually the right call, um, that there has been enough opportunity to learn present for enough kids in the system for the vast majority that there needs to be grading that does reflect some aspect of like how much did you actually learn in this period of time? Right. But based on what we were you know, trying to teach you, because. In most cases where there's virtual school, it's it's less stuff than would have been covered in a normal, you know, a normal semester where you see the kids every day. So um, so obviously some change is important. I think I favor a system that makes it really, really difficult to fail kids right now. Right. So like interventions in place, you know, uh, to sort of uh, figure out why kids aren't coming or what they're struggling with and how we can support them. Lots of opportunities to make up, you know, work that's quote unquote late, right? Um, right. You know, uh, multiple opportunities for kids to d uh, demonstrate proficiency on things, 
um, you know, especially stuff that in the past in, in a lot of subjects would be like really, really dependent upon kids processing a dense text, right? Like a, a chemistry textbook or something, right? Where they don't have the benefit of being around other kids or being able to ask questions of a teacher when they're working asynchronously, right? So like, there's gotta be some accounting for the fact that like success is probably a lot harder to attain right now for your average kid than it was in regular school. Um, so I, I favor like a bunch of mitigation policies, I think like that, to just make it really difficult to give kids an F. And here in California, frankly, a D or an F. Um, because it, you know, it matters for college admissions. So, yeah. um, so I think I favor that kind of policy that says like, we got to make it really, really difficult for kids to fail. And then frankly, if there's any, uh, you know, sort of outside of the kids control excuse, I got to work, I got childcare, I got whatever, whatever, then I think it's got to be like, all right, well, here's our options. We give you an incomplete you can do these five things and recover. Right. Um, because we can't just be in the business of like failing kids right now. It's crazy. This is right. so difficult for them, uh, for everyone right now. Yeah, no, that's why I'm at. That's that's pretty much not just myself, but a lot of my colleagues are are similarly there. When I look at my own grade book, and you know, I have juniors and seniors, and I know this this varies by grade level. I mean, the pandemic is affecting different folks in different ways. And I know the impact on, on the younger students is different than the impact on the older students. And uh, for my juniors and seniors, a lot of them are also dealing with the fact that they have to be babysitters and caretakers and work and all these other things too um, during the pandemic. Um, and when I think about Fs and Ds, pretty much like if you have been rolling with me in these these virtual class sessions and you've been here and you know we've interacted and you've been engaged to the you know the extent that you can be engaged like you're not getting an f or a d from me um yeah. you're just not and i'm not yep. i'm also not on the give them all a's for for this semester because i mean last semester things really just fell apart and they fell apart in such a crazy way that like, how could you possibly, possibly like make a determination of what an A is, what a B is, what a C is. And, you know, we're close to that this semester. Things didn't fall apart, but things are so, just so challenging that traditional letter grades still don't make any sense to me. And I'm all for uh, rethinking the system and doing something very different. But in the case of like the transcript grades right now, right now, the students who were with me, and most of my students have been with me, most of my students have have logged in each day and in one way or another, given me a sense that they actually are there and actually are following me. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're all passing for sure. And I'm definitely not giving any Ds because again, in California, a D might as well be an F as far as college admissions goes. Um, and most of my colleagues have also, you know, redefined what late means. Like there's not really, there's like, instead of like due dates, it's more, you know, this is when we would like to have it. But of course, if you need more time and we've taken zeros out of our grade books and done all sorts of things. So, you know, some might view it as like great inflation, which is a term that I think means something very different nowadays in the midst of a pandemic than it might have pre-pandemic. Um, but we view it as, I think you use the term uh, mitigating or something like that. And, and basically that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to just help students through this. I personally am, am just wanting students to hang with me, especially my juniors, because they have a whole nother year of high school next year. And I just don't want to lose them. I think one semester of distance learning 
you know, they, they hung in there, they stayed tough the whole way through. And I'm really worried about what a, a, another semester of distance learning is gonna do, especially spring. We have some, some stretches in our calendar where there's like, you know, eight or so weeks with no holidays, no nothing. It's just like a long stretch. And I'm just like, man, what's that gonna be like? So, so yeah, no Fs, no Ds for sure. Lots of As, Bs and Cs. I do have some students who have been just remarkable in terms of their performance and in terms of their um, achievement this semester, despite all the, all the challenges. And they for sure have earned A's in a very major way. Um, but yeah, man, it's, I wish we could just not give grades. I wish those students who clearly were not present and clearly were not part of whatever class, I, I wish we could just give them an incomplete or something like that on their transcript. And for the rest of them, just, you know, maybe this is the semester where it should have been pass, no pass. I don't know. But in any case, grades are grades and they got to be entered. And most of my students will be getting lots of A's and B's, some C's. I don't think I'll have any D's or F's that I can think of right now off the top of my head. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right on that, man. It is. It's an imperfect time and we have an imperfect solution for the, you know, for the challenges. But I think there's a there's a moral calling that's stronger even than the normal moral calling around grades to um, to not have grades be a tool of uh, oppression for kids. Yeah. And um and there's there the great news is there's nothing there's no state ed code that says like you gotta fail your students <laughs> right right um, there there's nothing that's um, you know legislatively in the way of us en masse doing the right thing the the difficult part is because of the way that that most collective bargaining agreements are structured around this question there's also very little ability for schools or districts to put in place policy that would ensure that some wild stuff doesn't happen and kids aren't just getting failed because of yeah. some teacher's belief that like you're, you you know, if you're not reading a hundred pages a night, you obviously don't value education. So, um, and I, you know, I, I don't mean to besmirch teachers with that statement, but there are a lot of folks who feel very righteously about their beliefs about grading. That is true. And, uh, and, need space for introspection around like what are the what are the consequences to young people uh, because of some of your long-held beliefs and, and and what is this really about is this about you feeling right um, or is this about how we're serving and educating young people so I hope the latter is what rules the day this uh, you know December when millions of grades across California are about to be issued on permanent transcripts. Yeah. Amen to that for sure. Um, all right, folks. So we, we've come to the end of passing period for, for today. And we really just want to say we very much appreciate you, especially those of y'all who are, are practicing educators right now, whether you're teachers or administrators, coaches, something else, something other. Um, we just really want to shout out the work you've done this semester. If you're listening to our show, most likely you are a an educator who who really cares about doing right by kids in the sense of really serving um, all students, but in particular those who've been marginalized and those who 
are often overlooked. And of course, on this show, we'd like to have critical conversations about issues impacting our kids. And, you know, if you've been with us this whole time, you you probably are a, a dope educator because our AOTA family is dope. So we really want to shout out you um, working hard and getting through this semester. And those of you who aren't really at your semester mark yet, I guess East Coast schools, like semester doesn't close to like January, something crazy. Uh, you know, just hang in there. Just keep, keep hanging in there. And... Um, and yeah, we're going to get through this together. And also we do want to say, you know, it's been eight or nine months, I guess, since this pandemic started and we've been producing the show from our own homes. We used to produce on um, on campus and, and we've had to uh, shift up how we do things. And we definitely want to shout out everybody who's contributed to the cause. Um, of course, if you head over to our our website, aotashow.com and click on support. There's um, a, a variety of ways that you could help us out through uh, Cash App and, and Venmo or becoming a, a monthly contributor through Anchor. And we've used that to buy some equipment that has helped us record from our own homes. And um, we continue to use that to try to grow the show and try to get these critical conversations to more educators and more more folks out there. So so definitely, definitely um, consider that if you appreciate what you're hearing. And um, we definitely very much appreciate your support, whatever it may look like. I believe our Venmo and Cash App is um, at AOTA show. Is that right, Jeff? That is correct. Venmo's at AOTA show and uh, Cash App, I guess, is the dollar sign AOTA show. I don't I don't really know how to how you're supposed to say that out loud. But uh... yeah, is there a name for dollar sign? Is it just dollar sign? I feel like there's got to be a name for that, right? But I don't know. I've, I'm not cool enough, man. I, my, I'm not a millennial, so my <laughs> my stripes are weak on the on the cash app skill set. But uh, but I will say we're AOTA show with the dollar sign in front. And please support the show if you like what you hear. Uh, any support you can give us will be tremendously helpful, especially in this season of giving. Um, you know, support uh, support some educators out here trying to. Bring the word and, and keep everybody entertained and informed. Yeah. All right, folks, next week, next week, we have another full episode. Our guest is David Adams, and he is going to uh, break down for us what social emotional learning looks like in the context of pandemic teaching. So you definitely don't want to miss that. A lot of folks out there talking about SEL this, SEL that, and it's becoming a bit of a, a buzzword or a buzz acronym. And he's going to break down what that actually looks like and what that actually means in the context of pandemic teaching and learning. So you don't want to miss that. That's coming at you a week from today. Um, but for now, it's time for you to go on ahead and um, get to class.